have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. I'm Rick Robertson, former guest and voice of Gabura on Dragon Ball Z. And you're listening to the I Know You Hear Me podcast with Flynn Hendricks. And I know you hear me, but what you don't know, I can hear you too. Howdy, folks. This is Willard Wingnut. And I'm sure we've all heard the same expression. A woman works from sun till sun, but a voiceover works from noon till one. And I thought, hey, I want to be one of them. So I decided to get some lessons in voice acting. And of course, what I did was looked up the best voiceover coach I could possibly find, which was Alicia Bowman. So basically, this is what I sounded like six months ago. But today, I sound like this. I begin every sentence with, in a world. In a world where there were a million mediocre voiceover coaches, where they were like lukewarm roller dogs at 7-Eleven, there was one that stood out head and shoulders above the rest. The one and only Elise Bowman. And she can coach you too. Go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. And you can become a voiceover too. Now back to my regular voice. That's right. She's like magic, so check her out. And if you have half as much fun as she does, well, she'll have twice as much fun as you. Are you needing some decals made? Maybe some vinyl or monograms? Then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Decals by Kins, and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there, and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for yourself go check out what she can do for you and as a special treat for my listeners if you use the promo code flynn that's f-l-y-n-n she's even going to get you 10 percent off your order now you can't beat that so go check it out and see what she can do for you and i know you hear me welcome back to another awesome episode of the i know you hear me podcast with me Flynn Hendricks, and my engineer in studio, Just Jeff, Jeff the Just. You know, if you listen to Tales from the Haunt, cheap plug, you'll know who this guy is. And he's the guy pulling his strings and working his wizardry behind the behind the curtain to make this podcast sound nice and pretty. So thank you, Jeff. And we have got another awesome guest on the line here today. But before we get to our interview, I've got to take a moment and thank you guys again for helping us get through the first year of this podcast. I mean... Where has the time gone? I think I've asked that multiple times over the last two seasons, and I still haven't got an answer. I don't know how we're this far into 2022 at this point. I don't even know how we're in season three of this podcast. 
that shows you that time has no meaning anymore or I just have no organizational skills. Maybe column A, maybe column B. Either way, the point is I am extremely grateful that you guys keep tuning in and you keep supporting, you keep following on social media, you keep getting the word out there, you keep sharing. I see the reviews, I see the messages you send for both podcasts and I am eternally grateful for that. But... If you haven't already, and this is your first episode, let me tell you, you picked a great one to start with. But after you listen to today's episode, go back in the archives. Well, first off, get subscribed, then go back to the archives. Start from the beginning and listen to every single episode. And I mean, guys, it starts off with me putting myself under the magnifying glass, being completely open and vulnerable. And I've done that a couple times throughout the season. So everybody gets asked questions. I get asked questions. There's a lot to unpack in these episodes, and there's something for everybody. So go back, get caught up, spread the word, get connected on social media so you can see what all we got going on. And then from there, too, if you're interested, we've got merch available. You can direct message us. You can check out my Pro Wrestling Tea store. All the information is in the show notes. And everything you do helps keep this podcast afloat, and we greatly appreciate it. But before we go any further, we're going to take a quick pause for a word from the Gimme Back My Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color, with Wolfie D every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis, we're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famer on the show with us. Every Monday at noon, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. And we're back. All right, guys. Now, today's episode is going to go right up the wrestling lane again, and it's one that I am excited to have uh, because we've talked about this guy a couple times in the past with not only Randall Shane, but he came up again on the UPW anniversary show that we did back in January. So this is a guy that I became familiar with around the tail end of 2009, start of 2010, which, man, almost... 13 years ago at this point, like, again, what is time? What, like, where does that even go? But this guy has such a diverse background outside of wrestling. In 2009, he became a professional wrestler. He's been involved in radio from 2008 to 2019. Let me tell you from experience, he is a master at the pit. This man can smoke some pork and make some great barbecue and I'm going to tell you, I made the mistake of eating too much of it before a show. I should have waited till after, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But this guy's also a teacher. He's an award-winning researcher. I mean, he did an academic research about pro wrestling, and I know something about that too. He's a football coach. He's also a fellow podcaster. He's a mental health advocate, and of course, he's a gamer. I mean, I wish I had time to play games, but that's neither here nor there because right now on the line, I've got... Seth Burchett, who you may know in the professional wrestling world as the Maple Leaf Monster, Seth LaDuke. Seth, dude, how are you doing tonight? Man, you know, when you when you introduce me like that, it makes me feel important or something. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just a guy out here trying to survive, I think. Uh, Brother, I think it, we're in the same boat. Yeah, it, pleasure to be on the show. You know, oddly enough, I think this, this is my first interview where I'm actually kind of the wrestler. And so I don't know that I've done an interview as a wrestler um, but you know, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. I, dude, I know it all too well, but I was going to give you credit where credit is due, man, because you wear and you have worn a lot of hats and 
something like that is, you know, like I learned a lot about you just from like catching up with you because I didn't know about the teaching. And then of course too, you know, like I didn't know that you had a podcast until we started talking, but you know, it seems like when you meet somebody in the wrestling world, you end up almost finding a kindred spirit because outside of the wrestling or the revealing spandex and body slams, you know, like there's so much that we have in common that may not come up in a locker room conversation. So it's great to know that there are those fellow kindred souls out there that are, you know, like right there, simpatico with you. Well, and, and that's the thing about wrestling. You know, we, we all have come together because of pro wrestling, but when mm -hmm. you're in a pro wrestling locker room and you're backstage at a show, you know, you're really just focused on that show and that night and, and your match and, and kind of what the crowd's like. And so you really don't get an opportunity to talk about all those other things that you might have in common. You know, when you do that, it it's probably because you're on the ride up with somebody or on the way back with somebody. You know, right. Those are really when those conversations happen. But generally speaking, in the locker room, they don't. Yeah, no, nine times out of ten. I mean, you may catch up a little bit, but like you said, you're trying to figure out where you are on the card, what the crowd's like, if you got time to go out and sell merch beforehand. Like you there's so many other variables at play there that, you know, like you gotta even figure out too, what am I doing if my guy doesn't show up or if he's running late or whatever yeah. it may be. So those, a lot of those things are the last things that you think about in those situations. Yeah, no, and and that's the thing is is you just don't get that opportunity. And so things like this podcast um, are, are a good way to kind of connect over other things outside and, you know, pro wrestling's the love. And I think that's what has again, united all of us Absolutely. that know each other, but you know, we, we live lives outside of, yeah. outside of the room. And I mean, some of them very complicated, but we all live those lives. Absolutely. And that's the thing too, that, that really caught my eye. And one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to have this chance to catch up with you is because I didn't realize that you wore so many unique and diverse hats outside of the wrestling world like dude i had no idea you were involved in radio i had no idea that you were a teacher like man like because usually you know like i hate to say people will group wrestlers into one little category and just kind of pigeonhole them there and put them off in a corner but i mean wrestlers are most of them i let me go ahead and preface most of them are very you know like intelligent very qualified and very capable people but you know like be having the radio background let's back it up right there and just okay. did radio and wrestling like did that all tie in together for you as like you know just having an entertainment bug that you wanted to chase or what what was that like so it the it radio was actually how i got into to professional wrestling or at least how i got into the business i've always been a fan yeah of professional wrestling i got into radio because um I wanted to do something sports related and nice. in high school I was a sports writer for the high school newspaper I essentially wrote the entire sports section uh, they made me the editor and they're like well, what stories do you want to write and I was like I only want to do sports stories and so I essentially took the stories I wanted and then handed off the sports I didn't like to other people right and so I would write you know we had two episodes or two issues every nine uh, weeks and so I would write probably eight stories in, in each one of those issues Ooh. and that, yeah. And that kept me pretty busy. And so I decided I want to do something with this. And when I got into college, my advisor said, look, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but print media is dying. 
And radio, mm-hmm. you know, the audio medium is somewhere that you should look at because that's something that's probably not going to go away. And yeah. it's evolved since that time. But I got into uh, to radio. I started producing a local show. I got into play-by-play, even produced a wrestling radio show for, I don't know, that thing was on for almost 10 years. Wow. And so... And, you know, I got to interview some of the biggest names and some some of my most fond memories of that radio career was getting to meet and interview Bret Hart, getting to interview Shawn Michaels. You know, there there are guys that I have gotten to interview um, that were childhood heroes. And so that was the cool part about it. But through that radio show, I met Randall Shane. And that's how I got into professional wrestling and started training was that radio show was the avenue to put me on the path to being a pro wrestler, which ultimately was my dream for so long. Man, that is amazing. Okay, so you just gave me a bunch of questions right there out of that story. <laughs> so this it. is this is making my job easy tonight. But I mean, like, first things first, because I think right after you got done training is about the time that Randall Shane introduced us and we were to start yeah. a tag team, but for whatever reason, I think uh, Kentucky things, you know, Kentucky bookings, something happened, and we had a couple shows together, and then just for whatever reason, I stopped getting booked or something. But let's let's talk about like interviewing those childhood heroes for a second, because I mean, like yeah. you just named like two people that are nine times out of ten on most people's Mount Rushmores of wrestling, and obviously one of those is my number one overall, Shawn Michaels. What is it like for you growing up as a fan, getting to interview those guys, and then how do you keep like the childhood Seth that grew up watching these guys on TV? How do you keep him? Um, I guess tame. Yeah, how do you keep him tame? Is the best way to say it. Well, you know, after so many of those interviews, and and like I could name off, you know, name after name of guys that were and, and gal. Like our first major interview was China, and China at wow. the time was very down on her luck and somebody had like hacked into her website and deleted everything. And so she was, and this is like 2009. So, you know, so, you know, as sad as her story was, you know, I, I just emailed her, um, her representatives and they said, well, she's trying to recover a lot of stuff. So she's doing interviews. And so she came on with us and we talked to her for two hours Wow! and I was incredibly nervous for that interview because it was the first one i'd never of course, like, she's yeah. calling me she's calling me on the phone before and after and you know it's like oh wow so like this person i've watched on tv for so long um is now calling me on the phone and it became more regular that when i would reach out some of these people or some of these wrestlers and wrestling personalities would reach out to me personally and like set up the interview and talk about it and so after oh, so wow. long you you kind of it just becomes business as usual, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I will say, Shawn Michaels, I was giddy for the Bret Hart interview was actually at a show in Nashville, and um, our good friend um, Lakeisha mm-hmm. set that up for me, and so I went down and met him personally and got to sit down and interview him. Uh, but Shawn was a little, little more WWE esque, where you've got fifteen minutes, here you go, you know, here's yeah. what he's promoting. You got to promote that stuff, and that's fine. But, uh, you know, one of the things I told him was, is he was a hero of mine growing up. And he's like, well, 
you must have been really young when you you know started watching i was like i was and then moved on to the next question because you don't want it to become awkward for them because you know he goes on in that in that interview and was like it's always weird for me to hear that i'm somebody's hero like i'm just a guy and i have kids and and so you know you, you kind of have to learn how to make it business as usual yeah. um and and that's kind of what uh, the mindset that i went into it with is, and the other thing is preparation you know, the more prepared you are for those interviews or at least for me the less fanboyed i got i think absolutely um you know i i was able to okay here's my 10 questions i want to ask and i'm gonna bounce off of things they say and but the fanboy was inside i just wouldn't let him come out very much no um, i I, get I, didn't, that. I didn't get that giddy trust me i get that especially with a lot of the people that i've interviewed on this show um, I will say you probably do a lot more preparation than I do because I do have a few questions in the middle Rolodex that I want to ask throughout the sure. interviews, and I'm sure people have picked up on what those are throughout the seasons. But for the most part, I just I free flow with it, or as we say in wrestling, call it in the ring because you know you may pass up on a chance to have somebody tell an awesome story or experience because you know I don't want to be so dead set on you know, having these questions, bing, bang, boom, 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 and it's not fun for them, it's not fun for the listeners, but that's just me. But, I mean, like, exactly what you said right there, too, you've got your list of questions, but then you can still improv and call it in the ring because, they, again, they may guide you to something that may be different from those questions, but it still gives you that two-hour-long interview with China. I mean, that's absolutely, God, dude, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the the questions, I mean, you know, I'm kind of, I have the questions a lot of times, but I usually ask one or two and they, you know, we wrestlers, we like to talk. And so they, yeah. do, you know, we'll go off on stories and really the questions just become, okay, if we're at like this natural stopping point of this story or this topic, okay, I've got somewhere else to go. I don't, ha it doesn't have to be awkward silence of, oh, uh, well, hey, what am I going to ask next? Exactly. You know, you've got something ready made, ready to go for you, but. Yeah, I, I usually like to call it in the ring uh, when I would interview just because I think it's more conversational that way. Exactly. I mean, that's what puts people at ease, and it's like you're talking to a friend at that point. That's And that's exactly how I classify these interviews here because it is just me talking to my friends. So I I get that. But when you, when you kind of have that free flow in a conversation and you have these interviews – this may be weird, but it may make sense at the same time because you've actually, you know, been in the ring and you get it. Did you find that that helped you in different aspects of becoming a wrestler, like the promos, and then even just being able to ad lib in the ring? Did you feel like that helped you in either of those aspects? I I think hearing some of the you know the behind the scenes stories because most of the interviews we did were more of the shoot variety. Yeah. Um. We didn't really have a lot of of people that would come on and and you know have a working interview so to speak. And so hearing those backstage stories and hearing how they reacted to things or, you know, the biggest thing I would always hear is listening to the crowd. And so that was always something mm -hmm. that I took to heart. Um. Even in those interviews before I got into the business, it was listen to the crowd and you know if the crowd's not buying it you need to switch things up and do something different exactly. and that's something that that i took away from all those interviews absolutely so when you do that too what's it like juggling especially like when you start training to become a wrestler what are your first experiences like getting in the ring and getting you know welcome to the wrestling world like with bumps hitting the ropes and all that and then not only that but then also still having the radio job on top of that 
Well, the, the radio job was more part-time than anything. Gotcha. Um, I was, you know, I was there a lot, you know, a lot of weeks where I was there seven days a week, but it might only be for two or three hours. You know, gotcha. I was producing minor league baseball and I was producing local shows. And so with sports radio, a lot of it is um, more national. And so right. we just uplink to a satellite and we're playing ESPN radio or Fox sports radio or whatever the case is. Um, and so the, there wasn't a huge juggling act. Um, but I will say, you know, getting into the ring for the first time, bumping kind of came naturally to me, nice. but hitting the ropes definitely did not. And that's, <laughs> that was, that's something that's still, it's still an awkward thing because that, I, that I've, Oh, hang on. It's uh, it's cutting up there a little bit. You good? Oh, hang on. You froze. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Uh, you mind? Do you mind repeating that part because it kind of like froze up there for a second? Oh yeah. So, so um, I, you know the when I got into the ring, mm -hmm. uh, it you know very much bumping came naturally to me. It was something I took to, and I had a little bit of a backyard, you know, experience. Yeah. Um, which we can talk about in a little bit if you want. But, okay. Um, so that that part was pretty natural, but hitting the ropes definitely was not. That was something that that I struggled with uh, from the very beginning. Absolutely. I mean, and see, that's something, too, that especially like depending on the size of the ring that you're in can still trip people up because, I mean, like some shows, uh, not to give you too much of a look behind the curtain, but some shows use a 16 by 16 ring. Some shows use an 18 by 18. And if you're lucky or if you ever work an extra spot for like WWE, they use a 20 by 20 ring. So naturally, the same strides you take across each of those rings to hit the ropes is not going to be the same. And you've got to just find your own comfortable stride and all that too. But I know that was a difficult one for me too because it was like walking on eggshells and stutter stepping. And if, if you don't start with the right foot to make that pivot at the right time, man, it is uh, it is like walking on hot coals more than anything else. So I get that. Oh, and it's just awkward. It, yeah. It's very awkward when you're learning. And then like you don't realize watching it for years, before you get into a ring, when you hit the ropes – they burn, um, yes. especially if you're thrill rope, you know, that, that was always the thing is, is my, you know, my buddies that I was doing the radio show with, or people that I worked with, you know, when they find out, Hey, you're training to be a professional wrestler, it's the coolest thing in the world. Then you show them your back from where you hit the ropes. And like, yeah. Oh yeah. What is that? Uh -uh. Like, well, that's the ropes. That's what happens. Yeah. That ain't fake. But, um, so man, you, you mentioned it. And again, like, just because Randall's probably going to come up again in the conversation, uh, having backyard experience was part of his story as well. Did you guys, um, did y'all have any interconnection and like, uh, like did y'all work together in any kind of like backyard shows or what even got you into the backyarding at that point? So Randall's a, is a few years older than me. So we didn't have a lot of interaction there, but the guy that I did get into backyard wrestling with is another name that you're familiar with. Um, I started with Derek Neal. Oh and man, my first, he was winning my first match. So yeah. So Derek and I went to high school together and he was oh, a year sure. ahead of me. Okay. And he, he found out that I was a big wrestling fan. He was doing a, you know, he had his own backyard promotion where we would, you know, wrestle in his backyard. And if we were lucky, the neighbor kids would pop their head over the fence to see what was going on. Right. So right. that was kind of our crowd, but he took it very seriously which I'm sure you're not surprised about no, that. Not at all. You know, we, 
he booked everything. We had storylines, you know, there was, there was not a lot of goofy stuff going on. It was, Hey, this is, you know, in his mind, this is a wrestling promotion and I'm taking it seriously. And so because of that, everybody else did too. And so when he started training, that sort of rubbed off on some of us that were there. And so that's why I think when I got into the ring, bumping wasn't a big deal yeah. because I'd kind of done it before. Um, but we didn't have ropes. We just had mats in, in a backyard. And so, you know, learning to run the ropes was a problem, um, but bumping was not. But, yeah, I, I started with Derek. Um, and, and so it was funny because at the time I thought it was goofy. Now I just think it's cool that he came up to me when he found out and he's like, I, I drew up this contract for you and you have to agree to wrestle six of my shows. And it was like handwritten and in like a notebook. <laughs> and so I signed it and, you know, and I was having like, I'm a contracted wrestler now. And so it was, you know, not that I was getting anything for it, but right, right. Um, it's kind of a cool story now. But at the time, like, I was like, what? I'm signing this contract. Like what happens if I don't show up? Is there legal actions coming? I yeah. just didn't know. Derek, are your parents lawyers? Or is your dad a cop? Like, <laughs> yeah. do I need to be worried here? Yeah. Man. So what was it like when you transitioned from that? I mean, obviously, like we mentioned, running the ropes. You didn't have ropes on that. You had mats to fall and bump on. But, again, with the ropes, you don't know what you don't know, so you have to learn. Were there any yeah. other things that, like, you had picked up doing the backyarding that maybe had to be a habit you had to break when you started getting trained inside of a ring? Uh, everything else, <laughs> I think everything else became a bad habit. Um, you know, the bumping was, was something that, that sort of went, was more true to form as to what actually happens in a professional wrestling ring, Absolutely. but everything else was, was from character development to, you know, locking up to how a match is supposed to be set up, mm-hmm. whether you're calling it in the ring or not, just the psychology of it is so yes. much different. And and part of the reason for that is when you're doing backyard stuff, and by the way, I don't promote that. Um, yes, neither just, do I. Don't do just it. Be, yeah, just because you're, you're more likely to get, especially now, because at least then, you know, I, I know the business has changed and, and I'm fine with that. I don't have any problems with that, but the things kids are going to try to do now, as opposed to when I came up are much different. Yeah. You know, a body slam was a big deal for us. Oh yeah. Now we're doing flip, flips off the top and you know, three drivers and, and yeah, all that stuff. Them. but you know, everything, um, was, is, is very different. And so the biggest thing that, that I learned once I got into the business is I have no idea how to put a match together. I right. thought I knew, but I have no idea. You know, I got in there and like, I'm going to go have a match and I'm going to be great. And I got in there and had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, the other thing that I was getting to earlier and I lost my train of thought, you, you don't know how to react because when you're doing the backyard stuff, you really don't have a crowd. A lot yes. Of and that makes and a so huge you, difference. It makes a huge difference because, you know, in that backyard stuff, we were calling everything, quote unquote, in the back. Um, but there was nobody to react to it. And so we didn't know if it was good or not. And once you get in front of the crowd, it's much different. And and you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And that's something you definitely you don't when you're in backyard wrestling. Absolutely. And then, man, just on top of that, too, like all of those factors going in, um, if people like aren't familiar with you or they haven't seen you in person, man, like you, you tower over most people, especially like in the locker rooms at wrestling shows. 
was anybody oh, it's that way in life too <laughs> man I, everywhere i envy you i'm not gonna lie i envy you i have a napoleon <laughs> complex but um was anybody afraid to uh you know to work with you just based off your size because i mean like you hear people all the time like eh, brother's big but does he know how to work you know you, you hear that that ignorant stuff but like was anybody like that with your training or were they afraid that like man you might slam them too hard anything like that no, I don't. I didn't encounter that. At least I didn't hear it. Um, if it happens, right? I think more people were. I think it was quite the opposite. I think more people were anxious to work with me because I was different. Yeah, you know, I I am not your your average, you know, indie wrestler in that. And I don't. And I'm not trying to sound cocky or arrogant, but I'm just bigger than everybody else. Yeah, you know, I was kind of joke around. If I'd have been alive 30 years before, or 40 years before, I'd have been a star in the territories just because I fit that mold. Absolutely. Um, not necessarily the case now, but I I was so different. You know, I was a big guy, uh, or I was. I still am a big guy. You know, and I'm taller and bigger, and so I think a lot of guys saw possibilities of what they could do with me and the different types of matches because. You know, there was nobody that that was like me around at that time. Absolutely. And I mean, that's selfishly, too. That's one of the reasons that I was excited for us to tag. And like, I just remember I would text Randall with different ideas because he was involved with helping Terry book the shows that we were on at the time. And then even when he when UPW started, which we'll come to here momentarily, you know, like we were supposed to have matches, I think, on at least maybe two or three different occasions. But it's like every time we had it. Every time um, I, I had several ideas pitched that would like just get your size over for finishes more than anything, and he would sign off on them. But then as soon as he would give the green light, it's like, oh, the show's canceled, roads are icing over, yeah. or oh, army pulled. Uh, you know they need the armory tonight, so we got to cancel the show. It's like, I, word, yeah. I, word I'm not gonna say right now, but you know it's like, yeah. ah, why why can I not work with this guy? What? What do you want from me, Wrestling Universe? Let this happen. <laughs> but, no, man, it's, it's exactly right because it's not the same thing that you get every time. And, like, in most cases with a lot of these, uh, you know, the smaller, like, more athletic talents, I'm considered the bigger guy because I'm thicker, I'm stockier, but I'm still shorter. But I'm the base for these guys that want to do these flips, and I'm the one that's got to catch them or, or whatever else because it's not going to make sense for me to do all these flippy head scissors and whatnots with guys right. that are half my size or like a, like you know them like an Anthony Wayne size. It's not going yeah. to make sense. But if he does it to me, it makes perfect sense because I'm bigger than him. So I get that. And then me being the David and Goliath situation with you, even if I'm the bad guy, you're the good guy, or the roles are reversed, there's so many different diverse stories we could tell. And it's, you know, it, it's something to change up from what they see every, like in almost every other match on a show. So I get where that excitement would come from. And it's awesome to hear that people saw that, you know, like as you were developing in your training too. Yeah. And, and I was fortunate that, that I think because of that, a lot of the veterans wanted to help me. They wanted to see me succeed. Absolutely. And so I got a ton of help early on from guys, whether they wanted to work me or not, or, or they knew they were going to, or they were on the same side, you know, as I was and knew they weren't going to be able to, they wanted to see me succeed because, you know, and I think it goes to that old adage is like, you know, I think some people saw money on me because, hey, yes. this is a big guy and there's nothing, you know, nothing like him. And, and if we can get him in there and get him over, then people are going to come to the shows to see that because I was an attraction. Absolutely. And I mean, 
again, too, I love that mentality because it's one that I've always adopted. I've always seen like other veterans, especially like when they were booking and they would take chances on me. They would always tell me, you know, it's like, well, I don't care who's on top as long as they're drawing money. If it ain't me, but they're making money. Fuck it. I don't care. That's more money in everybody's pocket. You know, like yeah. that's a that's a general adaptation of it. But, you know, it's like I, I get that because if one person succeeds and they're drawing all these other people in, then that's just a whole new audience for the entire roster to perform on. And you can't have that same guy on top 24 seven. I mean, it just, it doesn't work because then the act gets stale. The crowds start dropping and you know, like you can't feed that ego every day. Like obviously we're all egotistical people or else we wouldn't be wrestling in spandex, but you know, it's like, I'm with you on that entire mentality of what's good for the show is good for everybody because we all benefit. Hopefully the envelopes at the end of the night are a little bit fatter for everybody. And the crowd wants to come back to the next show and see what else you have to offer. Simple as yeah. that. Yeah, it well, it should be that simple. Unfortunately, yeah. it's not all the time. As as I've come to find out in life, the way the the simpler things are, it seems like the more complicated they are for the majority of the people. Yeah, no, no that figure. that's that's uh unfortunately the crazy world that we, yep. we live in, especially with wrestling. It's it's not always uh as simple as it it seems or it should be. No, no, it is not. But man, uh, so speaking of wrestling too, I want to jump to uh, two other things that I'd mentioned in your sure. in your introduction here. Um, one, I want to talk about you having the idea to not only start a wrestling show and a company with UPW, but I want to talk about where in all of this too the uh, the want to become a teacher comes into play in all this. So let's uh, let's start with starting UPW first, and then we'll see where the where the teaching fits into the conversation there. Well, the, the teaching, I was on, on the track to be a teacher. Oh, okay. Before. Yeah. So I was already in school, but I, I just, I got an idea and I was, I called Randall up one day and I was like, so what about a like promotion? What does it take to start a wrestling promotion? He's like, what are you talking about? And I, I, you know, I was serious about it in that Bowling Green, which is where I'm based out of. Mm-hmm. It, it, Bowling Green, Kentucky, for those listening that aren't local. I, I say it like everybody knows. Right, I, right. I know you know, but um, so Bowling Green, Kentucky is the third or fourth largest city in, in Kentucky, depending on the year. Um, and I thought that it should be, there, there should be wrestling here because it's a yeah. big enough city to support it. And so I knew I didn't know anything about running a wrestling promotion. I knew that that I have talent and I knew that, that I could help with that. And I said, what would this take? And he's like, well, it'd take this and this and this. And I was like, so you want to do it? And he's like, are you serious? Like, yeah, I'm serious. But I told him, you know, I, I laid out some things up front. You know, he was more the money guy. Cause I told him, I said, look, I can't, I'm going to school. I'm struggling as it is just to eat. And so, although if you saw me, you wouldn't think that, um, but at the time I was struggling, you know, just to eat and pay bills. And I said, look, this is what I can, can do for the promotion. I can help promote anything that we have because I have radio contacts mm-hmm. and you know, I can, I can go do those rounds and I can poster and, you know, I bought the sound system and I bought the entryway and I said, and, and I will give you all the work that I have, you know, all my time that I can give you, you can have. And so he had gotten the itch 
around the same time, I think. So yep. it was kind of like the fates, the, like all the planets had lined up and we put in for um, the promoter's license and the commissioner called us and went through all the rules and regulations. And do you understand? Yes. And we went to the armory and I was able for some reason to get in and meet somebody because that place is like a black hole. Yeah. There's never really anybody there. Even though there's there's always cars there, there's never really anybody there. And so I went in and found who I needed to find right away wow. and got the building booked. And so it was like fate. Like this is this is what we have to do. And so we have a lot of issues running up to that first show. Um based you know, we had a name book that didn't work out, mm -hmm. which I know you should definitely check out the UPW episode of this podcast. Oh, so I'm yeah. not going to tell all those stories. I'm going to make you go back and, uh, and listen to some of those. But so we had a couple names or one name that we had booked and it didn't work out and we got another. And so, you know, we did all the media rounds and did all the promotion and sold a lot, you know, did a lot of pre-sale tickets and people were genuinely excited. That first show blew us away. Yeah. We had no idea that we were going to get the type of crowd that we got that night. And I was the first and, one out through the curtain that night too. Like that was just uh that was a surreal experience. Not even going to lie. Cause that oh, was my first time back in like a year. And that was just like, wow. Yeah. It, it was great because Bowling Green never drew like that. Yeah. I mean like even, or, or at least it had been a very long time. I think the last time I'd wrestled in Bowling Green was actually like about a year or so before we met. I believe it was like a couple of the Sunday like JW Wildfire shows right outside of Western Kentucky's campus. Yeah. And I mean, they maybe drew like 100, 120 on a generous day. But I mean, nothing like that first crowd that we had, you know, like back in uh, 2017. I mean, it was just something completely different. Now, everything about that night was a success. Um, yes. The only regret that I have, and there was just, there's no way to to have obtained this unless someone was just really forward thinking we were nervous as all get out and we were in the back once doors opened and hadn't been out to see what the crowd looks like. And so we're getting reports, Hey, they're still lined up. They're still coming in. They're still coming in. And we just didn't believe it because we had seen Bowling Green only draw a hundred or 120 people. Yeah. And then we both went out and peeked through the curtains at the same time. And we both just hugged each other. It was like, we did it. And I wish there was a picture of that, oh, but man. there's no, there's no way to have gotten that, you know, cause it wasn't a planned thing thing it was yeah. just a very in the moment thing so you know the guy that was running music had if he'd have picked up his camera and took a picture that would have been cool but um that moment of all the things in professional wrestling that i've done is probably one of my favorites because it meant that all the time we'd put into it and all the work we'd put into it it it, it was successful and and that crowd that we saw and peeked through the curtain told us that it was successful and so then you know, we already a success. So you're playing with house money. Go out and have fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go out and have fun and do something that's going to make them come back. That's it. So let me let me ask you this. I've actually got a couple of questions now based off of all this. Um, one, being the promoter or being, you know, like one of the owners and also being an active performer. What's it like for you wearing both of those hats? You know, like, and Randall and I have covered this not only on his episode, but also on the UPW episode as well. So like Seth said, go back and check those out in the archives. You know, like when you know that somebody has to cancel or somebody no call, no shows, whatever it may be, how do you, you know, not only manage wearing both the hat of an owner and a performer, but 
when you hit those obstacles and those speed bumps or the armory has to cancel a show or you have to move it 30 miles down the interstate, like, how do you navigate all of those tricky situations and keep going for the betterment of the show? What's that like for you? Um, it, it's trying, that's for sure. It, it's very, it's a very trying thing. You know, the, the thing about it, for me, it, it was that I think I was too dumb to not understand some of that because I'd never been in that role before. Right, right. It, and so a lot of, of when something would come up, I would I would look to Randall because he had done it before and he had ran promotions. And so when he was stressed, I was stressed. And so I really just played on his emotions. It, you know, as silly as that may sound, it's when I see he's happy, I'm happy. When he's stressed, I'm stressed because – just didn't know yeah um and so i was kind of ignorant to a lot of that aspect of it um but there was definitely stress and i think for him there was probably more stress because he had more invested into it than i did understandable understandable. and so and so like i invested time and i and i had some money in it but i didn't have as much as him and so i think the stress was more on him because it, it was really I was like um, the Luke and he was the Yoda, you know, like he was, gotcha. he was teaching me every step of the way. Like, I remember that first night, like I didn't understand how to do payouts. And he's like, here's how you do payouts and here's your sheet and here's how you do the money. And so every step of the way, even for those first, for those two years that we were active, I was just sitting under the learning tree, learning how to be a promoter because I, I just had quite frankly, never done that before. Man, I, I love hearing these uh, these stories now because I've done a little bit of booking, but I've never done the promoter side of things. So, like, just hearing these stories, especially from somebody that was an active talent during all that, it's just fascinating, and it's so eye-opening to me. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this one as well because, you know, it came up when I interviewed Randall the first time, um, especially, like, when you're in a position of power or you're the booker and you make these decisions, and let's say that, even though it's the right choice, like your friends become like the tag team champions or in your case, like you were the first United or you were the second United States champion. I'm sorry. Uh, Avispo was, second, was Yeah. Yeah. Avispo was, was first, first. And then one. you were also the heavyweight champion, but you're the owner. Like, did anybody ever, or did you ever hear anybody like cry foul or say favoritism because, you know, like one of the owners is now the champion or his friends or in these main event spots or whatever it is. Did you ever have to encounter any of that? Because it, it seems like it it rears its ugly head in the wrestling business from time to time. It never came up with me, at least not to my face, and I didn't hear a whole lot about right. it. Um, I will say this. When when he told me that, he said, hey, we're going to put the, the U.S. belt on you, I said, I don't want it. I don't want it because I didn't want that potential problem to come up. Absolutely. I said, you know, I'm one of the promoters. I just don't want it. And he said, look. He said, first of all, he said, you deserve it. You've been in this business for so long. You've never even held a title. He said, and second, I know you and I both know we can trust you. And and we know you're going to be here. And we know that that you're going to be the guy that, that goes out there and, and, you know, busts his rear end because you've got more skin in the game than somebody that's taking a payout at the end of the night. Thank you. I mean, you. it's like you literally just went and plucked that out of my head because that was exactly the same conversation Randall and I had, too. And it's like, again, reliability. You know you're going to be there. You've got skin in the game. There's a vision in place for what needs to be executed so that whoever wins that belt from you, 
becomes a megastar because of how it's been built up, the story's been executed, and you have somebody you can trust in that position. And on top of that too, going back to your size again, whoever is able to beat a walking giant, they're made. I mean, if you can make it make psychological sense, man, like it, it's 100%... It's common sense if people will put their egos aside, but I mean, it's the same thing like a Vern Gagne making Larry Zabisco heavyweight champion of AWA or Dusty Rhodes and the way he books certain things. If he has a vision in place and he can't find the right person to execute it, who else is he going to go with but somebody that either he trusts or himself? I mean, it makes perfect sense, but again, so many people have fragile egos that that's just the easy go-to to play favoritism or or whatever it may be, but everything you just said is dead on what was in in my brain. Like, you just plucked it out right there. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's what I'm good at. I, I usually like to go into people's brains and pluck <laughs> things out. It's, it's, it's one – I should have put that on, on the sheet, long list of things that I do too. Brain fisher. Uh, yeah, but, but I mean, that that's the thing is, is you know, I, I held that championship, but, you know, I, I'm not going to say belts or props – but in some ways they are. And, and so, you know, I was more concerned with getting people in the building than I was, whether I had a belt or not. Absolutely. Um, that didn't, that didn't matter to me. Now, was it cool? And like, did, did it mean a lot to me? Absolutely. When I won the championship, the, you know, with the UPW title, it was the first time I ever held a promotions championship and, you know, Randall comes out himself and congratulates me. Like that was just a moment between he and I, even though it was in front of of a crowd and so that was just his way of because you yeah. know for those who don't know randall trained me and so that was a way of him just saying you know good job kid um and, and so um but i i was never concerned with that i was concerned with hey how do we get more people in the door what can i do to build new stars um Absolutely. you know what can i do to help get these young guys over because you know i'm i'm entering a point now even though i've not worked in a little while i'm i'm kind of becoming a veteran where i'm like okay how can i get these kids over what can i do to help and so i think wrestling business in general needs more of that mentality of what can i do to help the guys under me what can i do to teach them as opposed to what can i do to get myself over because if you do it right you're going to get them over and you're going to get over in the process bingo 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 and i mean dead on to a T that is exactly what I mean as we're recording this right now that is what I've been doing with uh with Terry England again you know the promotion and the promoter that we both met and worked for back in the day um you know like I'm one of his champions now and that's exactly what I'm doing I took a few years off to pursue the different acting endeavors but you know, 2007, here we are in 2022, I'm right back at it. There's a new crop of kids, and, you know, it's like Vic the Bruiser, uh, Victor Lewis said in his episode, too, um, you know, like, who's going to carry the badge of honor? Who's going to carry these shows when these veterans retire? These new kids have to learn the way, and, you know, like, a Vic the Bruiser's not going to be around forever. A Chris Michaels, a Derek Neal. These guys won't be around forever, so this new generation has to learn how to do it. And that's why I've come back is like, because he, well, one, he asked me to. But, you know, it's like, again, these young kids that I saw starting when I stepped away the first time, now I'm the one involved with getting them, you know, like grooming them and teaching them how to carry these things and, you know, slow down first off. But, you know, again, make it mean something. And I'm using a title to do it. 
but now I've got three different guys chasing me for it, and I'm establishing each and every one of them as a credible threat, trying to do my best Ric Flair without the hair and the you know tax evasion and all that. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, you know, it's like, again, it's just trying to help get these new guys over, and I know that the dirtier I can be or any way I can cheat them or make it look like they were that close to beating me before they finally do, it's not only going to benefit me, but it's going to benefit them. It's going to benefit the show. Everybody is going to benefit from it. And again, it's like what we talked about earlier. I don't care who's on top as long as everybody is drawing a crowd and we're getting a bigger paycheck. Yeah, because if you don't have fans, you don't have a show. Exactly. Um, and it, it, it's that simple. And, you know, while we're, we're talking about kind of that passing of the torch, um, I want to give recognition to a couple of guys who did that for me. And I Please think that's do. probably why, why I have this mentality. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think these two guys um, were fantastic and, and in a lot of ways don't get the credit that they deserve, at least, you know, at the very least on this on the local Kentucky, Tennessee level. One was Doug Vines. Oh yes, um, Doug was very was the first guy because Doug was was a big guy too, and Doug was at very end of his career when I started, and he would pull me aside and we would go watch matches together, and he would, you know, say, "Hey, you don't do that, don't do that," and it, he wasn't saying as as they were doing it wrong in the ring. He was saying, "You're a big guy. This small guy should not be able to snapmare you." Exactly, and so it was it was that kind of 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 attention that was given to me that i feel compelled to give back because someone took the time to do and he didn't have to i didn't ask him he just did it yeah um, the other guy it, uh that that really took the time with me and and part of it was because i was working with him a lot early on was jd thunder oh yeah jd man. jd was very instrumental in me learning how to put together a match. Oh, because, yeah. Because and he would and actually he too, gave man. me and, and and actually he gave me my name in the wrestling business. Really? So so here's let me tell that story while oh, we're please do please do. So it and we work in Hopkinsville. It was at the Hopkins. Uh, it was at the Christian County Fair. And I was going to go out and do like a run in. And then Terry England was like, go cut a promo. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. And so we get to the curtain and JD's kind of working the curtain. And he's like, Hey, he's, he's telling me when to go out. And he says, all right, what's your name? Cause you're going to tell everybody your name. And I was like, I, I was, I was going the first time I ever wrestled. I wrestled as Seth storm because I thought that was a great name because I loved Lance Storm and I right, had the Canadian right. gimmick. And of course. God, I'm glad that didn't, ha- that didn't work <laughs> out. Um, cause it's because what I have now fits and it yeah, works. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, and so I look at, he's like, what's your name? And I was like, Seth Storm. He said, that's terrible. And he, and I was like, well, what do I go by? And he goes, what do you want to go by? I said, well, I want to use my first name because if someone yells at me, I, I will give that natural reaction because I'm used to people yelling my first name. Right. And he thinks of me, he looks at me and he goes, you got a Canadian gimmick? And says, yeah. And he thinks for a second, he looks and he goes, LaDuke. And that was it. It was just like, go through now go through the curtain, do this run in and cut this promo. And so that was one of my first like soirees into the business. So, you know, I, I was greener than goose turds. Uh, <laughs> for, I'm trying to be family friendly in case any of, of my course. students are listening of to this. Course. Um, and so, 
you know, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I actually got out late. And so one of the guys that was in the ring got mad and fired up on me because I was late getting to the ring. It was like, I was trying to figure out my name, leave me alone. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so, you know, JD really took the time with me and taught me how to work a match. And he taught me, Hey, you need to be stiff when you're working these body parts, because it doesn't hurt. You know, if you, you know, not to pull back the curtain too much, but if you put a forearm across across the top of the bag it doesn't hurt and, and it makes a nice sound and yes. the crowd gets that and so it's those little things that guys like doug vines and jd thunder you know took the time to to implement and impart in me that they didn't have to i mean they they totally could have been like this kid's new and you know he's green and we don't know any you know we don't know him and yep. they could have like not done anything and they they chose to help this young kid out who had big eyes and didn't know what he was doing and make me better every time I went out there. Absolutely. And I mean, it's such a nice flip of the script from like the typical stories you tend to hear of the veterans being protective and doing trial by fire to see if you're actually going to last before they, you know, like before they welcome you in with open arms and but I mean, like sometimes I get that in certain scenarios, but the fact that these guys wanted to help teach you along the way before you develop these bad habits that were going to be near impossible to break just speaks volumes. And I mean, like you, we've all heard Vic sing uh, Doug Vine's praises, especially on this podcast. Like, man, I just remember being on some of those shows with you and seeing him there, and it's just like at the time we didn't appreciate like you know being in the locker room with him like we probably should have. Yeah. But now we can look like look back because obviously hindsight's twenty twenty and appreciate what we had. No, and and you know I, I was just saying to to Randall uh, not that long ago we we took a trip together and you know just randomly I'd be like I miss Doug Vines like I just miss him yeah I miss him being in the locker room I miss him taking the time to sit down and tell me things and teach me things I remember we were in a match together. Um, it was like a, an eight man elimination tech. Cause you know, every one of Terry's shows at that time, you had a match earlier in the night and then you came back and you had an eight man. And chances are, um, I was I, probably in one of those eight mans with you. I think you were, this was Somerset because yep, yep, cause I think we, I worked we Val on the same side and, and JD goes out by hitting me with a kendo stick. And he said, uh, you know, don't lower your head or something. He told whatever he told me to do. I didn't do. And he cracked me with the kendo stick, which is on me um because i didn't i didn't do what i was told to do right, right um but again i was green and so doug drops the elbow on me and i'm i've got my eyes closed because i think this is how i'm supposed to sell and i'm not moving and so doug pins me and goes are you live kid and i was like yeah i'm, I'm fine i'm fine i just i'm trying to sell and this is what i'm supposed to do like i just didn't get it um but it, it was that was kind of a cool moment because he just kicks me and he's like are you okay are you alive I'm, yeah i'm good i'm good thanks doug um <laughs> So, but yeah, I just, you know, while we were kind of talking about those sorts of things, I wanted to give those two guys, you know, credit course, because I don't know that I've ever publicly done that. But again, you know, as I said at the beginning, I've never really done an interview as, you know, the wrestler part of me. I think any interview I've ever done has always been as a fan of wrestling or um, something completely unrelated to wrestling. So it's kind of cool to, to talk and tell some of these stories. Absolutely, man. I'm, and I'm glad we're giving you the platform here to do it because this has been an awesome, you know, awesome experience so far. But again, one of the things I want to, um, to ask about in the middle of all this is, you know, you're, you're still in school and you're getting ready to become a teacher. How mm -hmm. 
on top of all the wrestling, because this is something that I can relate to as well, being in my final semester and wrestling full-time, working full-time, all that fun stuff, having no social life, really. How did you manage all that and then transition into teaching as you're still involved with wrestling? Like, How did you juggle all that and not burn yourself out? With a very supportive wife, to be completely ah, honest. Uh, she she very much grounded me. Um, and, and I don't mean that in the, in the negative way. I mean, she kept me sane a lot of times um she kept me um organized a lot of times and so really it was because of her because honestly um and and maybe this is a, a story for a different podcast but um when I started dating her I was kind of in and out of school and I was dealing with some mental health issues I wasn't aware of at the time I got and you. I dropped out of school twice right and so I said she said I love you but I can't date a bum. And so she's like, you either need to get a job or get in school. One or the other, she's like, I don't care which, but you got to show me you're trying. Because at the time I was working like three hours a night at the radio station. And so it just, it wasn't working. And so um, she was very supportive. And, and so that helped. I think I've surrounded myself with a good core of people, both yes. in the wrestling business and out of that, I think really helped um, along the way. Um, it always helped. It, it also helped me that I could share wrestling with my students. Oh, like when yeah. I was student teaching, I could like every the first day of school every year, I show some match of mine to be like, look, this is what happens if you don't act right in my class. <laughs> and like, I'll show them a match. And it. it's kind of cool um, because it's something I can share with them. And, you know, I, I get asked by them sometimes, why do you still do that? Because they're like, do you get paid a lot? No, I don't get paid a lot when I do it. Um, and, and it's not about that. Um, but you know, when you're a kid, that's all you think about, I guess. Uh -huh. And so they're like, why do you still do it? And I said, cause I want to show you all that you can do anything you want to do because for a long time, wrestling was a dream of mine. And even though I'm not in the WWE or anything like that, I can still do it. And I yes. do it because it was a dream and to, sh and again, to show you all that you can do it if you want to, whatever that dream is. Like, it's like, you know, I love Dusty. Um, and so it's like, get a dream, hold on to it, and shoot for the stars or whatever that line was he had. Yeah. But that's kind of what I try to impart in the, in the kids is like, you can do anything you want to do. And so I will continue to do it, even on a part-time basis, as long as my body allows just to show that to them and be Absolutely. that example for those kids. Man, and that's, uh, first off, man, kudos and major props, major praise. Every other way that I can sing your praises, man, it's all coming your way because just because that's exactly what I try to implement in my kids is that like whether it's wrestling, acting, whatever, no dream is unattainable. And like, you know, as growing up, we heard people say, oh, you can't be a wrestler. You can't do this. You know, and like the fact that you're giving these kids something that they may not get at home and you're giving them that reassurance that they can follow their dreams that sad to say they may not be getting from their parents or their guardians like Dude, that's that's what the world needs more of. So again, like I can't sing your praises enough on that. That is amazing. I, I appreciate that. You know, it's you get into teach people get into teaching for different reasons. Yeah. I got into it first because I loved the content I was going to teach or thought I was going to teach. Mm -hmm. um, and as I got into and and when I started, I thought I want to teach advanced classes so I can really have great discussions about U.S. history or yeah. world history 
history, you know, and I could nerd out. I can do that on my own time. Of course. What I realized yeah. was, what I realized early on was, I don't want to teach those classes because those kids don't need me. Like those kids that take those classes a lot of times are, are very intrinsically motivated mm -hmm. and, you know, many, and that's not, I'm not saying all of them, but, but a lot of them have pretty good home lives. Yes. Um, and so I like dealing with the kids that don't because you would be shocked at how many kids don't get told, like, I'm proud of you or I oh. believe in you. And I try to do that, you know, once a week, I'm telling some kid, Hey, I see you and I'm proud of you. And like, you can tell the ones that don't hear it because their face lights up because they just don't hear that anywhere. And so, you know, the, the wrestling is, has been a way that I've done that. Um, and, and that, that's a big reason why I still do it. And that's a big reason why I show it to them on the first day of class. So plus it's like, you get some cool points. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're like, Hey, Hey, I'm a, I'm a pro wrestler and I'm on YouTube here. Look me up. Um, and so there's, there's a little shameless self-promotion there on of the first course. day. Um, but, but, you know, I always do like this questionnaire on the first day of school and I, I have them write me a question and some of, and almost every year I get, why do you wrestle? And it's like, because of you all, like you didn't start that way, but now it's because of you all. Man, I, I love that. And again, as, as somebody that knows, like whether you don't hear somebody say they're proud of you or there's one specific person that you never heard say they were proud of you and you carry that with you, man, again, thank you for what you're doing. I cannot sing your praises enough and I, I appreciate that of course and like I, i've got a couple more questions here sure. but, and one of them too like i want to back up to so we'll do that after this right here because i want to come back to the mental health subject if you're okay sure. with talking about that I, absolutely 100 percent. perfect so we'll get to that here in just a second but my last question about teaching specifically uh, because i've had previous you know guests on the show like keith heim that are teachers and He's a, you know, he's a fine arts and music and band teacher. And, you know, like we talked about what it was like for him teaching that subject during the pandemic. But obviously we, uh, we all saw like the effect that COVID had on the world when it shut down in 2020. Like my son was in kindergarten doing virtual learning. My wife was at home with our then like not even one year old son trying to manage all that. But, you know, a lot of people also don't seem to focus on what it was like for the teachers and having to, you know, like not only maintain their responsibilities, but find ways to reach these kids or like if the kids are even capable of showing up for virtual learning. So what was it like for you as a teacher during like such an unprecedented and crazy time? How did you find ways to not only help your students, but like keep yourself sane and like just keep yourself on the right track during all that, like where you're still being that supportive light for those kids. How was that for you? Um, it, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think for me, it, I mean, mentally it was trying on all of us uh -huh. because we are trying to do something that absolutely no one was prepared for. Absolutely. No one oh. had trained any of us to do or deal with. And so for me, the thing that I focused, you know, when it first happened, basically the world shut down for a few months. Yep. And so then it was just be present for them. I wasn't concerned with the work, you know, because that in 2020, that, that March, April and May was essentially a throwaway Yeah, because we like were blur. just trying to, just trying to figure out what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. 
Um, so the first thing was, was just to be present, you know, make sure that I'm putting stuff on like my Google classroom, just a note, uh, to say, Hey, if you need anything, I'm here. If you need to talk, I'm here. If you just want to hang out, I'll do a Google meet. And so I would do Google meets where I would just have the kids come hang out. And, um, I streamed a little bit. I did some Twitch stuff, um, so that they could, they could come on and watch me play games and just hang out with me for a little bit. And so that was one of the, the early on, one of the first things. Um, and then when the, the school year started after my district was in person right away, we were on like a hybrid schedule. Okay. And so, it, so it was like, we had purple, like our school colors are purple and gold. And so we had purple days and gold days. And so <clears throat> each week you would have kids either come two or three days a week. And, you know, they alternated Fridays. And so that was, you know, I just tried to make sure while they were there, I, I just didn't focus on the content that much. You know, we still did it. And I still did all the things you're supposed to do and standards and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But really it was just transparency. Sometimes we would just have talks just, Hey, I, you know, the thing I learned they loved is I would do ask Birch at anything. And so I would just sit in front of class. And so for a whole class period, they could just ask me whatever. And so questions were goofy and they were serious. And, and I was always transparent. And, and that's one thing that I try to be as a teacher is completely transparent. And so when we have to do things as a class, because the school says we have to do them, I throw that out there. Hey, this is not, this is not Birch's thing. This is the school's thing. We have to do it. Let's get through it. And I think the kids appreciate that. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, you know, being present and being aware and just keeping an eye on them was, you know, I think the, the best thing I could have done for them because I teach geography right now and whether they know where stuff's at or what urban sprawl is or how the world works in Japan, I don't know that that's going to make a huge difference, but, but me being present for them and being available, I think was the biggest thing that, that I was able to, to um, help with. And, and, and that I think helped me as well. Yeah. Because when you love kids, man, they'll love you back mm-hmm. and, and they're not shy about it. And so, I got that love back, um, especially at the end of the year. I had a class that I just particularly connected to last year, and they went at the end of the year. Um, and I'll tell you something that I do for all my students here in a second that I don't know if it's impressive or not. I just know I love doing it. <laughs> but they all got together. They got a thank you card, and they all, like, signed it and put messages, and, like, they swarmed me. And were so excited to give it to me just to thank me for, you know, being their favorite teacher. And one girl went and got me like a PlayStation gift card because she knew I loved PlayStation. Oh, man. Like, like Birchett getting the PlayStation 5 was a storyline of early 2021 for <laughs> these kids. Like, I would give daily updates of how I missed out on the PS5. I finally got one. Oh. But I would, but like, she wasn't a gamer, but she paid attention because I would give those up because I had kids in there that were. And so that was one of the conversations I would have with them. And so she wrote me this long card about how I was her hero. And she looked up to me and like, got me this gift and like, man, it made me cry. Like I'm not even, I, I don't. And I, I have a box full of all that stuff that, that, you know, when I get down, I pull it out and read that stuff. And so <clears throat> one of the things um, that I do for my kids every year, I've never heard of a teacher doing this. I'm sure probably some do. And I never had anybody do it for me. Every year I write a handwritten thank you card to all my students and I personalize it. 
And it's just, thank you for, you know, I thank them for let me be their teacher. Cause if they don't want you to teach them that you will not teach them, I promise it won't happen. Um, whether you think it'll happen or not, you can be the best teacher, know all the stuff. It's not going to happen. They, you know, and that doesn't mean they have to like you, but, but they have to respect you. Yes. And, and so, um, I thank them. I apologize if I'm down in any way. And then I will, you know, say something nice about them personally for my own interactions. And at the very end, I tell them all you're important and you matter. And I think those are things every kid needs to hear. I think every kid needs to hear that because they may not be hearing it in their own life and, and everybody's going through something that you don't know they're going through. And my hope is, is that if nobody else loves those kids, they know I do. And, and that's kind of my biggest goal, you know, in my prof- chosen profession. Dude, I, 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 I'm not saying this to like, just to be corny. I'm not saying this to, you know, like make light of any of it, man. I don't know if I could smile any more than I have, like just <laughs> hearing all of that. I don't know if I could throw any more kudos or praise at you. You saw Jeff giving you the thumbs up and the applause. Like, dude, that that kind of connection makes a difference in those kids' lives. And again, like you said, that's stuff they may not be getting at home. So the fact that they have Mr. Burchett is just like, oh, man, that is such a powerful thing. And I think, like, I know, like, I had great teachers growing up. I had some that wanted to be anywhere else but there. But those ones that enjoyed what they did, enjoyed the time with the kids enough to make those connections, like, man, those are the ones that you're going to remember for a lifetime. And it's just, it's so special that, man, I think if the world had more teachers like that, like what you do, I don't think there would be any question about whether or not teachers deserve higher salaries, anything (laughs) like that. Man, like, that's just, that's what the world needs more of. I'm going out on my... That's my, that's the sword I'm dying on right there. That's, that's powerful, powerful stuff, man. I, I appreciate that. You know, like, of course. you know, the, 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 you, do we deserve more pay? Probably. Um, but you know, we're kind of the, kind of the show openers, right? Like we don't, we make less pay and, and set the tone for, you know, the rest of the show. And for a lot of kids, we're setting the tone for the rest of their lives because Absolutely. You know, hopefully we all have somebody that, um, as a teacher, you remember for the right reasons. And so, you know, it's kind of that opening match, uh, vibe, I think going on. Absolutely. You, you know, you set, you set the pace for the rest of the night, the rest of their life, yeah. the rest of the semester year, whatever you want to call it. But you, if you set them off with the right tone and the right pace, man, it's only onwards and upwards from there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, like you said, some of these kids, man, they just, they don't hear it and they don't, they, they just need somebody to love them. Absolutely. And, and and every day, that's that's uh, my goal is just to try to do what's best for them. Absolutely. Well, man, my last question here, um, and this is one that I'm I one of the main reasons I started this podcast as well is because especially like in today's day and age, for guys more than anything, like it's hard for us to like be open about our issues, or it's maybe not the most favorable thing because you know like you have the old stereotypes of the guys, the strong silent type doesn't, you know, like, wears his emotions on his sleeve, doesn't talk about it, and I'm stubborn myself. I've had issues that I have not dealt with. I'm in the process of, you know, fixing my sleep patterns, all that fun stuff, and it's definitely, you know, it's instigated anxiety, depression, all that fun stuff, and I've sucked at talking about it, 
But, you know, like when you mentioned your mental health issues, what was it like for you? And was there ever like a fear of or a thought even that, ah, I, you know, it'll pass. I'm just going to let it ride out because it's not something that's, you know, you may have just you've heard everybody say it. So you weren't comfortable bringing it up. What was all that like for you? So you mean coming to terms with it or You're just becoming aware of it and then, you know, like coming to terms with it and finding ways to, you know, live with it and, you know, become healthy, I guess, is the best way to say it. Um, so I, I wasn't really aware of it at, at the beginning. Uh -huh. um, uh, my wife had read something that uh, the university here, Western Kentucky University, was doing these mental health screenings and they essentially gave it was like a Facebook post, some social media post. Yeah. And they were screening for, you know, mental illness. And so they gave like symptoms of anxiety and depression. And she said, I'm not telling you, you have to, excuse me. Sorry. Um, so she said, I'm not telling you that you have to, but I'm telling you it might be a good idea to go check this out. Yeah. And it was free. And so I go and I was like, okay. And so you answer this questionnaire and, they just handed me a couple of pamphlets and I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like what, what's going on? And they said, well, based on your answers, you are likely have anxiety and depression. And I was like, what? And, and I had no idea. I didn't know that something was wrong with me um, or that I wasn't quote unquote normal. I know I'd never felt normal mm -hmm. and, and, you know, mentally, I just, I've always known something was off, but I didn't know what. Yeah. And, and so once they realized I was serious, cause I think they got a lot of kids, like we're getting extra credit if they would go do it. Yeah. And, and so they, they weren't taking me seriously. I'm like, no, listen, I want to know more about this. And they're like, oh, we'll go set up a, an appointment at our counseling center because we offer free counseling services here. And so at, the, at that point, it was an hour a week, like clockwork, I was, you know, going to a counseling session and kind of learning more about what was going on and why it was going on. And, and once I learned, I realized my whole life, I've been dealing with this stuff. It, it, and so much more made sense once I realized it. And so much more made sense once I understood, okay, I have made these decisions while being told I'm a loser and understanding it's not that I'm a loser. There's just something that's different with how my brain functions. And I, you know, I dropped out of school twice because of it, because I couldn't get out of bed, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that was, and, you know, to relate it back to wrestling, you know, my anxiety is to the point that something that I love like wrestling, the week leading up to a show, I dread it because like the travel, is is trying for me yeah. and i don't travel well and like i'm anxious and like jumping out of my skin and then once i get back and settled i'm cool but it's very crippling and so i've learned to manage it i've learned to um you know take medication for it because as my counselor would have said um when i was was going there because you know they don't give it to you for free once uh you're you graduate but um he said hey Mental illness is not different than anything else. If you're injured, if you, you know, get a bite or a cut, you put a bandaid on it. You take med if you're sick, you take medicine for it. So it, you know, don't think that it you're different if you take medicine, you know, and it doesn't work for everybody, but it, it has for me. And it's helped me, um, kind of cope with it and, and manage it a little bit better. Absolutely. And so, you know, now 
you know, I, I was kind of that mindset. I'm a guy I need to be tough. I need to be strong. It's like, nah, it's okay to cry. Yeah. Like I feel better when I cry. And when you're as big as I am, people typically don't mess with you. So if you're right, right. Like, it's okay. Um, you know, they're not going to come up and, and, you know, say anything off color. Cause then I'll just slam them or something. Like, right, that, right. You know, I don't, I've you never don't have been a choice in a here. Right. Yeah. It's like, I've never been in a fight because no one has been dumb enough to try to fight me. Um, and that's not an invitation, by the way, if you're listening to this, it's just, you know, growing up through school, like I was still the biggest guy and like, no one wanted to mess with me, and, Yeah, but you know, it's all right to cry. Like I've never known my father, whole other story, whole other day, but you know, I grew up with, with a grandma and a mother who taught me it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. And so despite the fact that society says, don't do it. Cause you're a guy and you're big and strong. Like, I've kind of come to terms with like, I'm going to cry sometimes and it's yeah. okay. Um, but, but through that, I share my story. Um, my podcast has been, although it's not regular, still out there and I've told my story and, and will tell anybody about, you know, mental health and, and mental health awareness, um, particularly anxiety and depression. Cause that's what I deal with because, man, it's going to help somebody. Exactly. You no, know, somebody's exactly. going to hear it and it's going to help somebody because you never know. So when I, I came out and kind of told the world, I was just having a bad day and I was like, I'm going to tell this. And I made this long Facebook post about it because that's how you tell the world anything now, I guess. Yep. And so I made this long Facebook post and I sat it down and I went to take a shower because I was sure people were just going to make fun of me. And I had so many people reach out and were like, we would have never known knowing you that you dealt with this and you know people that i wouldn't have thought dealt with it reached out and said i also deal with that or people who you know had committed or or had had attempted to commit suicide you know who um said hey i i I deal with mental health issues and i tried to take my own life and you know we're with you first of all if you're having those thoughts reach out to anybody i mean anybody in your life yes um and if if there's nobody you think cares like find me yeah um even if i don't know you i'll talk to you and and there's you know hotlines for that and man so i think we just made you the fourth horseman on that now because uh, again i've had this uh i've shared the suicide prevention you know awareness or the hotline number i'm sorry in, in previous episodes but again guys like myself seth carlisle jimmy street whoever like Jeff over here, like you've got no, they got five of us. We got our uh, James J or JJ Dillon over here, but I mean, like, like there's five people now, whether we know you or not, we don't want somebody to not go home to their family. We don't want a family to be in mourning. We don't want you to feel like you're alone. So you have people pulling for you. And I, I I didn't mean to, uh, to pull the rug out from money on that one, but man, it's like, this has been, you know, like a recurring topic, but it's something that is so serious to this day that, people are afraid to talk about and then they they end up feeling like that's their only option and that that's clearly not the case and we don't want anybody to feel that way no and you know and like i said you know i'm not i'm not cheap plugging you know the podcast that i've done because it's not necessarily active i can pick it up i guess at any point but because i don't necessarily have a schedule for it just time has not permitted me understandable but but they're all out there and and i tell my story and i've had other people come on and share theirs because I, I want to end the stigma yes. of talking about mental health. Yes. Like it's okay to talk about it. We are not living in the 1940s where we had different societal norms that told us men are supposed to act this way and women are supposed to yes. act that way. And if something's bothering you that you just get over it. 
Um, I, that drives me nuts. Now I will get in a fight when I know people are dealing with depression, anxiety, and they have people tell them, Oh, just get over it. Like, that's yeah. not the way our brain works. We don't operate that way. Um, but you know, I think just reaching out to people absolutely is a huge, is a huge deal. You know, and for me, when I told everyone publicly, I had such overwhelming support. And if you are, you know, my message to people is if you are thinking about something like that, um, reach out, make a social media post. Cause I promise you, you will have people reach out to you that know you and love you. And like, everybody deserves someone to love them. And they all have, everyone has someone who loves them. And if you don't, I do come, again, come find me. I ain't hard to find. I stick out like a sore thumb. You'll see me <laughs> walking through Walmart. I, you cannot miss me. Um, but you know, I'm very passionate about that and, and I Absolutely. share it with my kids. Um, and, and, you know, I think dealing with it's made me a better teacher in some ways because I sort of can identify some of the, yeah, the, you know, the, the symptoms or the signs. And, you know, I've had kids are like, how did you know that I was dealing with that? Like, cause I do too. And, and it's okay. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. And that's, it seemed like such a big help, um, to a few of these kids. I actually, I won't, I'll tell you, I'll share you the story with you off the air, but, um, I had a student once tell me that I saved their life. And that was the most powerful thing anyone could ever tell me. Um, yeah. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll share that off air, but, um, but I, I'm comfortable enough sharing that, that a student told me that once. And it's crazy. Like you just, you just don't know what impact you have in any aspect of life at any time. And again, too, I mean, that's guys, that's 100% why at the end of almost every episode, I just encourage you to go out and do something good in the world because that one little thing, it may be so small to you, but just saying hi or waving or smiling at somebody may be what keeps them from going over the edge. And I, I've lost friends to that. We've lost mutual friends that yeah, just yeah. That felt like they had nowhere else to go and that was their only way out and just they did not reach out. And, you know, like, un unfortunately, now here we are four years later and they're still gone. Like, there, there's always an option. So please don't ever ever be afraid to do that and i mean like I i've noticed this especially in the creative and the entertainment types that it tends to be a lot more amplified and you know worse in that regard because we get in our own heads more and sometimes it's hard to convince us otherwise but guys even if you feel that way please do not be afraid to reach out because we would rather have you here and talk you off of a ledge then have to be looking over that ledge wishing you were still here. So please don't yeah. ever, ever feel like you're alone. No, I absolutely. I mean, 100%. I, I couldn't have said that any better. Just reach out, uh, you know, find, find. I mean, heck, you know, reach out to a straight, reach out to somebody. Yeah. But, I mean, everybody has someone that, that I think they could reach out to. And if they don't, you know, the, the hotline is out there. Absolutely. Um, find one of us, you know. Um, we're not, we're not hard to I'm, find. I'm, no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Absolutely. Well, man, um, I kind of feel guilty, like wanting to go because like you, you've kind of cued this up throughout the whole episode, especially, you know, like with the, with the ABA, the ask Birch at anything, I guess, yeah. you know, I, I feel kind of guilty now wanting to, you know, go to the next chapter and turn it to an AFA or an ask Flynn anything. I've, but I've got five for you, man. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and do well, it to, to bring us on home well, here. And again, first to, of all, go ahead. before we get to that, I just want it to be known for the entire world that I make killer barbecue. Yes. Well, I, yes, before, he does. 
before I get to that, um, I, I'm I'm an amateur pit master. Um, yeah, no, I've got five for you. Sweet. All right. Well, let's get to that. And again, let me let me plug this man's barbecue. Again, this was so good that what I should have done was wait until after my match to enjoy this barbecue, but I was afraid there wouldn't be any left, and lo and behold, I was correct. So what did I do? I went and gorged myself before my match and <laughs> suffered for about 15 to 20 minutes after the fact, but man, oh man, was it worth it. So if you ever get a chance to get any of this guy's barbecue for the love of God or whoever you may worship, jump on that and get some because you will not regret it. Unless you got yeah, a wrestle I think, after. I think Robbie E is still trying to get my barbecue because he ate. <laughs> I don't know if you heard this story. He no. ate so much of it. And then my uh, my family worked concessions for us. It like really was a family affair. Like my yeah. mom, my stepdad, and my sister worked concessions. And so I did some for concessions. And he was going to concessions to get them. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm one of the workers. Don't charge me. And so they were giving him barbecue sandwiches from concessions. Oh, too. No. And I remember I just remember riding up with him on both of those shows. But I didn't know that. Actually, I take that back because the match that I did gorge is the one where I ended up working him. Uh, oh, my God. It's funny how it all ties together. Yeah, yeah. He he's still looking for my barbecue, I guess. Man, I guess right, well, that's so, your that's your end to be an NXT caterer for all I know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um all right. So the first one is just designed to make you think, kind of break the ice. Let's go. Does a straw have one hole or two? Oh man. There are so many ways I could answer this one. I mean, I could even say that it has three if you want to get right down to it. Because it's got an opening on each side, and then it's got the cylindrical hole going all the way through the body of the straw. But, man, I'm going to say two because I want to say it's an opening at each end. Okay. That, like, I don't feel like there's a wrong answer to that. That's just one of those funny make it. I actually heard, I stole that question. Uh, they asked, I'm a big UK basketball yeah. fan, and they asked, all the players before the season, like they did a little video feature and they asked them all, does a straw have one hole or two? And those kids look so confused by that question. <laughs> um, so I thought it would be a funny one to ask. I love all right, it. So, uh, question two, um, what parallels do you see between voice acting and wrestling? Um, I'm fighting every urge to expound on this and say, what parallels <laughs> do I see between professional wrestling and everyday life? <laughs> but I mean, man, real talk, more than anything, had I not had the professional wrestling experience for that, you know, 11 or so years, whatever it was before I started this, man, there are so many things that I would still be trying to catch up on. Like, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, they you hear them say, be careful who trains you because you may just get somebody trying to take your money. There's yeah. there's coaches like that in voiceover that haven't booked in 20 years and they're trying to teach you or, you know, like just... Everything you can think of, you know, like, I will say sometimes, like, the wrestling mentality of the people that preach the brotherhood the loudest are the first ones to break it did make it yeah. harder for me to accept the family mentality that is voice acting. But, I mean, on the whole, professional wrestling not only prepared me for voice acting, it prepared me and helped me with improv, it's helped me with stage acting, it's helped me with scare acting, which Jeff and I do, and... Like, dude, it's helped with so much, and it's also helped in everyday life, too, especially going hand-in-hand -hand with improv, where I don't have to try and think three steps ahead, especially, like, 
in a meeting with a customer, for example, where you're trying to address their problems and trying to predict what they're going to say, you just go with the flow and let it happen and react accordingly, man. It all, like, it all just, it gives you a broader picture to how the world really is, and sometimes that can be a double-edged sword, but, man, it shaped me so much, and it's such a big part of who I am, whether I want to admit it or not, that it's done more good for me than I can ever possibly say. It's no different in teaching. If you can, yeah. if I can't read, a, if I can't read a room full of kids and tell they're not into something I'm doing, then I'm, 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 t- you know, that's it's definitely helped me in that aspect because when I can tell the kids aren't into it, I, I move through it and go to something else. Absolutely. Um. All right. Question three. Oh yeah. I feel like I'm like I'm building suspense here. I'm I'm naming out the numbers. <laughs> um. Whether you realized it then or realize it now. Who was your most influential teacher in life and why? Um, Does that have to be like a spe- like an educator or just somebody that has taught me, like, you know, it just taught me the ways of life? Um, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking educator, okay. um, coming, coming from an educator. Uh, so like, but, and the reason I ask it is when I got into teaching, I, I had one teacher that I, realized particularly yeah he was a great teacher and i just didn't realize it at the time um so whether you knew it then or you you realized it later in life because you look back on it in in terms of an educator teacher who was your most influential and why man this is i have so many great teachers and you know if they listen to this show which i hope they do uh apologies (laughs) but man i'm gonna have to go with my first grade teacher, Miss Reasonover, just because, like, we stayed connected all the way up until I was in college. She was my sister's first grade teacher. Her uh, daughter was my senior and AP English teacher in high school. And I went back when I was looking at becoming a teacher uh, before they changed the program, and I was going to have to give, like, two more years of my life to college that I was just mentally burned out on. I went back, and I was actually her teacher's aide, uh, to help her first grade class and like we just we kept in touch she was happy to hear from me and like you could just tell how much it meant too that i wanted to go back and you know reconnect and work with her after almost like 20 something years of not seeing each other like face to face but still being connected through my mom and godparents or or whatever it may be but just the fact that she made that much of an impact on me that I wanted to go back and work with her and then how happy she was to have me back. That has always spoke volumes. And then just seeing how much those kids loved being with her was, oh, man, I, I can't even describe it. Yeah, man, it's it's hard to put into words, like those great teachers, like what they, they do for you. Yep. Um, and, I, and I hope some kids think that about me. Um, Absolutely. All right, question four. This is kind of a boring one, but I'm a nerd. Um what's the best book you've ever read and why was it the best book man okay um i i'm going through my rolodex of books right now but i'm just i'm gonna go ahead and say like as i'm looking right off camera here i've got like my my little section of motivational books uh that i'm still going through or some that i've already read but my favorite one, uh, and because this guy is like one of my favorite voice actors as it is, is it's actually his autobiography. Um, it's called Failure is an Option. 
it's H. John Benjamin, you know, the voice of Bob on Bob's Burgers or yeah, Archer. Yeah. You know, everybody knows his voice because it's the same voice across everything. It's just like his unique story and how he got to where he was. But he's just like the almost like the average everyday dull drab guy that gets to do all this cool stuff. And it's like I've read it. I've listened to it on Audible more times than I can count. But it just like it pulls me in every time like it's the first time I've read it. And man, I that that's it for me outside of uh I'll go ahead and say one A would be it's a Star Wars book. Whether it's canon or not, we won't get into that discussion. But uh it's the Plagueis <laughs> book, you know, the the lead up to uh Palpatine becoming a Sith Lord under his master and all that. So that's yeah. that's my one A, but definitely uh John Benjamin's book Failure is an option is uh is my number one. Nice. All right, last question, number five. All right, let's go. I feel like I saved the best for last, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> drum roll, silent drum roll from it, Jeff over yeah. here. If you could voice any classic Disney or classic cartoon character throughout history, which one would it be? Man. Again, I'm going through my Rolodex. And there, there are some voices that are just so iconic that I can't picture them going to anybody else. But because they've... Uh, and again, the voice of this character was the main event guest of Season 2, Linda Young, because she was the OG voice of Frieza that I grew up on in the, in the early 2000s for Dragon Ball. They've since okay. recast him... Um, his original or his second voice actor had passed away, unfortunately, uh, within the last year. And now he has another, you know, voice actor that was, you know, like his understudy that could match everything he did and bring his own little flavor to it. But if I could voice Frieza for Dragon Ball, oh my God, like I just put me in the ground now. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> everything else just, nah, just give me Frieza or give me death. Okay. There's, there's your new I tagline. But yeah, that would be because again, like I just I love the bad guys more than anything else. And again, like that's just so just easy. From a heel. Yes, because to bring to wrestling, because you bring all these little subtle things that you pick up in a cartoon or you pick up in a movie or just what you see on the news from these politicians or whatever. And it's just like they think they're so smooth and they think they're the good guys and all this, but really they're just assholes. And it's just like it's so beautiful. That they, they make these impacts on people and they make your protagonist that much better and that much better of a character. Yeah, man, that that's that's the thing about it. Like in that in and to relate it to wrestling, because that's kind of what we do, right? Yep. Um you even in cartoon characters, you can pull things that you can add to your character. Yeah. Um I know that that uh you know for me, I would put little nuances from like the original ninja turtles um cartoons yes my man and so there were so many bad guys in those like you could literally pull something from every one of them and um and again very very nuanced things that most people won't get but it works because the things that work work regardless of whether it's a cartoon or in a wrestling ring. Absolutely. And I mean, because there's always a little bit of realism or real life experience that's brought to something, even if it's in the anime medium or the animated medium. I mean, like there's always something there that somebody can relate to. I, uh, 
I, I particularly, if I were a voice actor, and I'm clearly not. But you've got a um, voice for it, I will say. I, you know, I can do a few voices. Um, and I do like wrestling impersonations and people are like, wow, that's really close. Um, so anyways, uh, I would do something King of the Hill because that's like literally my favorite card. And I'm excited about one of your interviews coming up. Yes, um, yes. I'm, as I'm as we're recording, huge... it hasn't dropped yet, but... I'll go ahead and put a little uh, put a little feeler in the water. Maybe this will help manifest it too. I've actually reached out to somebody else on that show. I don't know if anything will come of it, but we shall see. We shall see. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear the one interview that hasn't dropped, but um, <laughs> that's that literally my my favorite cartoon of all times. There's a, that's become such a source of comfort. Oh my god. Yes. Um, I will like put it on when I go to bed and it, I just like sleep so much better just, right. and, and it's crazy cause it's a cartoon, but like, it's such a great cartoon that like, and it's so comforting to me because I like it so much that I'll just like put it on and go straight to sleep. But I mean, how could you not sleep like a baby knowing that Cotton Hill killed 50 men? I mean, how could you not? <laughs> right. Yeah, no. Uh, or that, you know, Hank's selling propane and propane <sighs> accessories. And that Mr. Or Strickland... That Oh, yes, Rusty, Rusty Shackleford's, Shackleford's order, ordering pizza or something. You oh, know? oh, oh, man. Okay, so I, I, I want to say something else about Rusty Shackleford, but I do have to give a little brief glimpse into my high school life for a second. Sophomore year at my high school, they did these little things around Valentine's Day. It was like a random dating game to see like yeah. who you would match up with. And let's be honest. Okay, I was the fat kid. I had a mullet. I had acne. <laughs> I thought a mullet was cool at the time. Now it is, but... I was ahead of my time, but nobody talked to me. I didn't really talk to anybody. So I was just, you know, I was just playing around. I did this dating card. I put the name Rusty Shackelford. I just answered whatever I felt on each of these. And lo and behold, who gets matched up as the number one match for like three of the most popular girls in my sophomore class? Rusty Shackelford. Like, who's Rusty Shackelford? <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> But uh, before we before we wrap up here, I have to hear one wrestling impersonation, and I'll give you one of mine. Okay, so the one that I probably do the best is Macho Man. Oh, right out of my repertoire. Are you saying we have a match off? I mean, if that's where this is going, that's where I'm like I've got the cape back here. I can put it on if I need to. I've got um, nothing. I've got a whole shelf of, of, of wrestling figures behind me. You probably can't see them real well, but like dedicated to Macho Man. I love Macho Beautiful. Man. Beautiful. Um, so, I mean, like, how does this Macho work? Like, I don't know. Uh, Jeff, do you want to decide who goes first? So who goes first? Oh, all right. He's pointing at Seth. So, Seth, you go first. You say whatever you want as Macho Man. Well, you know something, brother? I think I got to warm up here just a little bit. Duh. Oh, the cream is rising to the top. Yeah. Read the boots, brother. First name, macho. Last name, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking, thinking. Oh, man, I don't know if I'm listening to a repeat of myself or if I'm just looking like mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the most savage one of all, huh? I think this guy on the other end of the microphone might have me beat, though. I don't know. But like he said, the cream rose to the top. And then like you're at a Starbucks with the little barista stirring the cup. It bubbled up and it popped. 
Gee, I don't know what we just did, but I hope there was magic in it. <laughs> there had to be. <laughs> that was fun, though. I mean, I think it probably woke up the whole neighborhood. Oh, brother, that we're two hours in at this point. I don't know where else we could go from there. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I'm just, uh, that, that module man is probably the best one I've got. Actually, if I, get... I take that back. I do know where we could go from here. And I'm again, I feel like manifesting is the theme of this. And hopefully as this show airs, this show has already happened, but I do know that a certain someone who has been mentioned several times in a certain show we have mentioned several times has been penciling in the idea of running a show again. Yeah, I got I got a couple of text messages that were very interesting today. Yes. Um, about uh, buildings and availability of things. And, and so something might be coming sooner than later. If I'm not mistaken, I do believe two people who may be conversing at this time, I'm not going to name names, but I think they may be having a match with each other, finally. Hopefully that doesn't curse the show. But all I'm saying is, perhaps there needs to be a match-off in person? I mean, again, I got the cape and the bandana and the glasses. Like, I'm I'm game. I'll have to send you... Um, this year for Halloween, I dressed up as match. I'll have to show you oh, that. It's not, the, it's not the greatest macho man, but it's pretty good. I'll take it, won, it. It won the faculty uh, Halloween costume contest. What was yeah. funny is, the, it, what was funny is the kids voted on it, and I don't think any of the kids actually know who the Macho Man was, but I look cool, so they voted for me. Hey, it's that guy from the Slim Jim commercials. <laughs> that's how. That's how I literally had to explain it to them. I'm like, I'm the Macho Man, and they're like, Who's who? the Macho Man? And I'm like, I'm the Macho Man, yeah. And, and, you know, they don't get that either. And so I'm like, the dude from the Slim Jim commercials are like, oh, that guy. That guy the village people sang about. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if if any of my kids knew the village people, I would like, I would be really happy with that. I, I walked into class one day and I said, well, uh, you know, as, oh, oh now, as uh, Jerry, oh, geez, now I've done forgot his name uh eastbound and down jay reed i said yes. jerry reed would say we got a long way to go and a short time to get there so we got to get going and they just look at me with these blank looks and they're like who's jerry reed and it's like uh you disappoint me let's just i don't have time to explain this we don't have enough time today and so it just just straight into the nose <laughs> for the day oh man Oh, I love it. And the best part is they have Jerry Reed accessible on their phone. Oh, yeah. But, the, the, like, they have everything. Well, it's it's funny because one of the trends now is to wear, like, old band T-shirts. Yeah. And, and so, like, I will ask them because, like, I saw, like, I had a girl one, like, last year had a Def Leppard shirt, and she wore it all the time. And I'm like, are you Def Leppard? And I got excited because, like, that's my wheelhouse, right? Yeah. And it's like no i just like the shirt but i think my mom might like them I'm like oh great i just i just like to show my support for hearing impaired cats <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean like they'll wear like nirvana stuff or um i've seen the doors oh um, man it, and it's like they don't know who it is they just know the t-shirts look cool these kids these kids and their trends i'm turning i'm turning into that guy aren't i like the old guy that just doesn't get the generation i know i know 
Oh, man. I, dude, I can't believe that we've gone almost two hours now. And, like, th this has just been a blast. And now here we are being, like, Waldorf and Statler up in the up in the bleachers <laughs> just yelling at these kids that don't know what yeah. they're doing. But, dude, this has been awesome. And I, I can't say thank you enough for, you know, not only coming on to chew the fat with me, but just being so generous with your time, being so open and vulnerable telling your story and just having fun with me, dude. This has been a blast. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I've loved doing it. Um, is, do you mind if I plug my podcast? No, absolutely just, not. Just so that, you know, again, and there's quite a few episodes and there are multiple people that share their stories of mental illness. Um, and I've done it to, um, if you do listen, you have to listen to the first episode because that's where I lay out my story, mm -hmm. um, and kind of explain why I do the podcast, but it's called wrestling with the mind. I love you can it. find it on, on Apple podcasts. You can find it on Spotify. And it's probably somewhere else, but I know those two are the, the big ones. Man, and I think I've actually come across that. I didn't know it was yours as I was looking to see if anybody had ever used the, you know, like wrestling with hypotheticals that I'm going to be doing on a few episodes. But I think that was one of the first ones that came up, too. So, man, I yeah, am uh, getting subscribed right now. It, it's a very generic black and white logo because uh, um, I'm, I'm the goodwill of the podcast world and can't afford a good graphic, but... Um, um, I don't need a good graphic to tell a good story. And so, and, and by good story, I mean one that hopefully will help people. Absolutely. And guys, I'm going to have the link to the show in the show notes as well, along with any way you can keep up with Seth. So we're going to make sure that you guys get on that. I just subscribed. So if you haven't, I can already tell by looking at the names of some of these episodes that this is going to be worth diving into. So guys go get subscribed right now. He's got a 4.7 out of 5 stars, so that's all I need to know right there outside of talking to this guy and not wanting to get body slammed. So go get subscribed. <laughs> I'm going to have it nice and easy for you in the show notes, and go give a deep dive into these podcasts here. And who knows, maybe we'll get lucky and Seth will bring it back and we'll, we'll flip the script again and he'll interview me on there. I've had a few people reach out to me that that uh, they it helped them and like kept them going. And so they've asked, like, hey, are you ever going to do it again? And so it's it's in the mind right now. It's I just uh, have to, I guess, figure out a way to be more consistent with it. But it I is understand. definitely definitely um, a real possibility of of a resurgence. I'm glad to hear, and I, and I know exactly what that means, too, and you can ask this guy right here, whether it's this podcast or Tales from the Haunt, like, we're booking so much ahead of time, so that when we get into our crazy season in the fall, like, when this actually drops, that, you know, like, we're not going to be missing a week, because, you know, like they say, as soon as you miss a week, or you miss an episode, oh, yeah. it's easy to fall off the wagon, so nope. doing everything we can to, uh, without pretty much just running into a wall to make sure that we're getting these out, getting these ready and just having them in the can ready to go. So we don't even have to think about it at that point. Well, I, Hey, I'm, I'm happy to, to help and be part of that for a week. Of course, man. And I, dude, I can't wait to have you back on because believe me, that door is open anytime you want it to be. And if it's not for some reason, just kick the door in, you're big enough to do it. And I'll welcome <laughs> you back with open arms. Hey man, it, it sounds good. You know, maybe we'll do like a UPW roundtable or something yeah. sometime. Because yes. there's there's a lot of stories that, and just wrestling stories between Randall and I that uh, 
um, from from him training me to me pulling over on the side of the road once just because I thought I was supposed to. Like, there's a lot of like oh, crazy yes. stories, dude. I would and, love to do that because these roundtables have been something that I've been wanting to do. Like, and people have heard me mention it all the way back in season one over a year ago. So I would love to get some of that on there too, and then also just man, just tell some stories because like you said, these stories are entertaining and it may be something that these people have no idea what we're talking about, but they're captivated by the words coming out of our mouth. So let's make it happen. Yeah. Listen, anytime you need me, you know how to get a hold of Of me. Of course, man. I'm I'm definitely uh, open and available and uh, warm up the old vocal cords for you. Of course, dude. And I appreciate that. And that goes both ways, but ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this has been an awesome episode and in typical fashion, I've lost all track of time if you haven't guessed already. And man, like we have just had a blast here covering a wide variety of topics. They've been fun, they've been heavy, but at the end of the day, we hope you found something in here that will help you or at least entertain you and, you know, get you through your drive to work, get you through the day. And just if you're struggling, hope, you know, that somebody's out there for you as well because we don't want anybody to go through that alone. But, you know, we're going to have links in the show notes to keep up with Seth, how you can get in contact with us if you need something. I'm also going to have the suicide hotline prevention number posted again in case somebody needs that. But, you know, guys, again, I can't thank you enough for continuing to support this podcast and Tales from the Haunt. It means more to me, my family, Jeff and his family than anybody could ever know. And we're just grateful to have these opportunities to chat with our friends and bring something that entertains you guys. And I can't thank you enough for that. So if you haven't already, please go subscribe. We're on all podcasting platforms. Leave a five-star review. Leave a written review if I can get my words out here. Help me get to that kind of rating that Seth's got for his podcast there. Cheap plug. And then on top of that, too, please go follow the social media platforms. It would help out more than you know. And if you want to get some merch, check the show notes, too, because we've got ways that you can do that. You can order from us directly, or you can go to my Pro Wrestling Tea store and order from there. Every little bit helps, and it just keeps this show afloat to keep it coming to entertain you. But, guys, before I keep rambling on here tonight, I'm just going to go ahead and say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you from Seth. Thank you from Jeff over here working his wizardry to make these shows sound nice and pretty. I can't wait to talk to you all again next week. Go out there and do some good in the world and be a light for somebody that may need it. Be a light for yourself while you do it, too. And I know you hear me. The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.